are listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, December the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on the line with me is Wes Reimnitz. And we decided that we're going to be talking about Paul Timothy McCain, who passed away on the day before Thanksgiving. A lot of people don't realize how important Paul Timothy McCain was. You know that on Wednesdays, I do Walther's Law and Gospel lectures that he gave almost for over a year to students at the seminary on Friday nights. And it's out of a book, Law and Gospel, a reader's edition. Well, there's also a reader's edition of the book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. And on the title page, it says revised, updated, and annotated by four individuals. And the first name is Paul Timothy McCain. You may have heard him on Issues Etc. a number of times. He had a tremendous knowledge of the Confessions of the Lutheran Church entitled the Book of Concord. And in fact, a number of people said that he was a follower of Robert Price, who knew the Book of Concord. I had courses with Robert Price. We were very good friends. In fact, he asked me to come and teach at the seminary one summer, which I did. So this is really a a great book. And uh, Wes, you also have the reader's edition, do you not? Oh, yes, yes. In fact, when we were discussing about talking about Paul McCain, uh, I suggested that we go into the large catechism and take a look at baptism. And he makes uh, some introductory comments that I think are, are very uh, insightful. Uh, yes. In fact, that's what's interesting about the reader's edition Uh, He even has introductory contents to the entire uh, catechism uh, of Luther's large catechism. It actually goes from page 377 to 470. So it's almost 100 pages long. And I'm doing an adult instruction right now. And one of the individuals, he's not Lutheran, comes from a Roman Catholic and Orthodox background, but he moved into the area where I have a congregation that I'm dealing with, Emmanuel McComb. And guess what he did? He read Luther's large catechism. So you can get that book from Concordia Publishing House separately. And I asked him, did you read anything in there that you did not agree with. And he says, no, I agreed with all of it. And he's now in my adult instruction and we're kind of going in more detail. Uh, The Lodge Catechism would be a great book for people. Oh, definitely. In terms of uh, renewing and, and diving deeper into your faith. In fact, I, I can remember from my seminary days that, uh, they would they would encourage his professors that uh, 
whenever you prepared for confirmation, your year of conf- junior confirmation with the small catechism, that you read the one of the books that you should read annually was the large catechism. Yes. In fact, I, I believe Paul McCain did a short preface um, of this, and I just want to read. Now, this is an entire catechism, and then you've got something on baptism. But here's what I think Paul McCain wrote. Luther never intended the small and large catechism to be only church books, but rather house books to be used in lay people's homes. He provides these texts as the most necessary parts of Christian doctrine, which should be learned until they can be repeated word for word by heart from memory. And that's something a lot of people don't realize, that when a parent wants to teach uh, even the small catechism, it's best that the parent has a copy of the large catechism because there's so much more information in it that is not found in the small catechism, but explains the large, the small catechism better. Right. Well, Luther would also say he could find nothing better to study each day than, than his own small catechism and would would reread his his small catechism and large catechism on a daily basis. Yes. Now, he wrote it and yet felt there was much. Now, you and I probably do that occasionally. We may take a look at an old sermon and say, boy, I don't remember saying that. But boy, is that ever good. I'm going to use it more often. <laughs> so that happens to us too, where we might write items on theological understanding, sermons, Bible classes. In fact, I just put together a booklet on a Bible class I gave on over 300 Old Testament passages that are specifically fulfilled in the New Testament. And I'll be making that available shortly. But that's something that I said, boy, I should be using this more often because it sure helps people understand the proper distinctions between the Old and the New Testament. What, what's, um, did you find something Paul McCain said about uh, baptism? Absolutely. You know, you had mentioned that uh, Matt Harrison, our synodical president, had mentioned baptism in, in uh the funeral the sermon, sermon. funeral sermon, and you had been doing this for Advent uh, at the churches you're at, uh, yeah. talking about baptism. Yes, so, I decided to do baptism for each of the uh, Advent Wednesdays. There's three of them, but I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about, and I had already uh, told the secretary to get ready for this. We're using vespers. And then Paul McCain fell asleep in Jesus. And then I heard Pastor Harrison's sermon, which was just excellent. And so I took a number of items uh, from that, shared it with the congregation last night. I'll be doing it again tonight at another set of congregations. And I had a gentleman come up afterwards uh, saying to me, and Louise was standing there saying, Wow, 
that was really a helpful sermon. I hadn't understood it. And I said, well, then you got to give credit to Pastor Harrison. And I said, oh, no, wait a minute. You got to give credit to the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Well, didn't you say, isn't one of your uh, Bakerisms uh, that uh, you're a super pet pleasurist? You uh, go out and you find something good and you say, well, I'm going to use that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I plagiarize a lot because I've taken about 60 courses after I left the seminary and then I continue to read and it's just really been very helpful. See, I've been in the St. Louis area for uh, many years, 28 years at one congregation and the a number of the courses were at no charge, and I did it on the graduate level. So it was very helpful to hear insights from professors like uh, James Veltz. Uh, also, I talked quite a bit with Dean Wenthe and James Bohagen. We were all in the same class together. So I had some really good people who knew their areas of expertise better than I did. And I just borrow it and, and speak about mm. it. But back to baptism and, and what Paul McCain, and I, yes. I took a look at his introductory remarks to baptism and found what, what I consider some very nice little treasures that he's written. Baptism is not our work, but God's work. It is a priceless treasure that God gives and faith receives and grasps. God's word of gospel promise makes baptism what it is. Baptism makes us gives us great comfort and strength when we when sin accuses us and we realize how we stand guilty before God. Then Luther says a Christian is to say, "But I am baptized." I thought that was really it, it speaks well to his faith. Yes, I used to say. How do you know you're saved? I used to say I was baptized. But then I heard uh, somebody talk about that we should say I am baptized because it's it's like saying to a child, uh, how do you know they are your parents? And you don't say I was conceived, but I am a child of my parents. It's a present Mm. tense, and it really makes a big difference. What did – oh, go ahead. Well, he went on to say with Luther in the confession, said true repentance is a daily returning to baptism. Baptism is our daily garment by which we suppress the old Adam and grow up in the new Adam. How is that done by a Christian today that baptism, he also says, is a form of repentance? Well, it's a renewing. It's it's a... We call it a rewashing, a, a regeneration. It's, it's the Word of God that uh, makes baptism what it is. It's not just ordinary, simple water, but it it becomes water connected with the Word, and the power of baptism rests in the in in the Word of God. Yes, that's a really important point. That apart from the Word of God, 
baptism water is just simple water. It reminds me in the Old Testament, after Israel left Egypt, one of their first complaints was not having enough water. That was just shortly after they went through the Red Sea. So they're in the wilderness, and they come to a lake, but it's bitter water. In fact, it's called Mara, which means bitterness. So they complain to Moses and Aaron that they have nothing to drink. So what does God tell Moses to do? The, the Hebrew can be translated either as a tree or a limb from a tree, and he's to throw it into the lake. And when he does that, all the water becomes sweet. Now, there's nothing in that tree that makes water sweet. But the word of God was connected to throwing that into the water. And therefore, as you just said, the water in baptism is simple water. But when you connect it to the word of God, wow, that's important. Now, what word of God do we use to connect the word to baptism? Well, we uh, commonly use in Matthew 28, go ye therefore and baptize baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinitarian formula that we use for for baptism. And then you've got uh, Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Saved, yes. Now, that was a text I used last night. But I had already decided a part. Jesus meets with many disciples. You know, he saw 500 people after his resurrection. And it said there, but some doubted. Mm. And so I said, what does that mean? It it can't be that they doubted that he rose from the dead because he's standing in front of them. So what did they doubt? They doubted what the Pharisees doubted and misbelieved because they knew that Jesus rose from the dead. They paid the soldiers to lie about it. They knew he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They said it was a trick of Beelzebub. But what did they doubt? They doubted that he was God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the savior of their sins because they didn't need a savior. And that's with people standing, with Jesus standing in front of them And so I made the point that it's really a lost cause to try and prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Because even Mm. if people believe that, that's not saving faith. It's historic faith, which Walther, Luther, and many others spoke out against. Hmm. And uh, it it is a a word that... uh does a conversion. You know, in the large catechism, Luther uses a, an, an illustration on, on uh, baptism. He says, imagine a doctor somewhere who understands the art of saving people from death. Yes. Or even though they die, could restore them quickly to life. And uh, wouldn't people be beating down their, his door to, to, to get that uh, doctor that, that could save them? And he goes on to say, we have it even far better with God connecting his, his holy word to holy baptism. 
How can a parent of a child, a Christian parent, refuse to baptize their child in, in light of statements like at Pentecost, Peter says, and the promise is to you and your little ones, meaning even mm. infants. Why do people do that? Because of the false doctrine that you must make a choice to be saved, and a baby can't do that, so they refuse the baptism of babies. Right. You know, uh, I, you probably did the same, but a lot of times when you do a baptism on a Sunday morning, uh, you would in, in, include it into your sermon. And, and one of the points that yes. I always tried to make was the greatest gift you, you gave to this child is you brought him to holy baptism for for God to, to bring about uh, his salvation and his rewarding regeneration. That uh, a lot of gifts that we can give our children over a lifetime but by far the best one was when we came to the altar and had God baptize his child. But even leaders in Judaism didn't understand that. Remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, you must be reborn. And he says, how do I get back at my mother's womb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's more of a historic faith. Well, it, it's an ignorance of the Old Testament passages. Of, uh, in, in fact, in the Bible, it, it talks distinctly that God will place water over you and bring you into his kingdom and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in the Old Testament. So mm. how can you not want to baptize your children? Yeah, I mean... Uh... Like I say, that's one of the greater gifts that you can ever bring bring to your child, and then then also to bring them up in that in that faith and and, and talk about it. You know, as you know, I got several grandchildren, and the oldest uh, was. It, it's interesting to hear the comments they make. You know, uh, a person was. Com was lamenting that that their skin was growing old and and tight and things like that and and he would look at him he said don't worry god made you that way you're okay yes yeah that uh, the aged process is something that god's looking towards and that's why we're looking forward to heaven where we will also receive our bodies from the ground but they will be refashioned into glorious bodies, much like the body of Jesus. Right. It's quite a, you know, it was quite a, an eye-opener, I thought, rereading the baptism again uh, in in the uh, large catechism. I mean, Luther just goes page after page uh, on the power of baptism resting in God's Word and uh, the, the significance of it in, in the rewarding and daily regeneration for us in our faith. Yeah, in fact, on Wednesday, it just so happened that uh, Walter was giving Lecture 21, and he had done the last lecture in June of the, that year, but then school was out, 
And during the summer, his wife died. And so this was just a lecture a few weeks after. And what he was talking about was that back doesn't work ex opera operata, which simply means by putting water on someone and I baptize you doesn't mean that that's a valid baptism. I, I've used that about children in a sandlot in a parking area or a playground, and they decide to baptize one of their friends. That's not a valid baptism any more than the Lord's Supper. And he was making the point that in Prussia at that time, you would not be hired for governmental jobs if you were not a Christian. So when somebody applied for a governmental job, they got baptized. They didn't believe in the baptism, etc. but thinking just by having water applied to them and the word said that that is a valid baptism. And Walter made the point, no, faith is needed to receive the benefits of that baptism, which faith, by the way, is given even to infants. And so once more, I was reading something that fit well with the sermon I did last night and will be doing tonight. Right. And it's in the Lord's Catechism as well. Uh, and yes. under baptism, Luther says the, the very same thing. You know, people uh, try and say, or the devil himself try and say, it's just water and it has no no connection but outwardly. But uh, he goes on to say it's God's word that's connected to it that gives it the power. Yes. In fact, just before the conclusion of the section on baptism, there's a section, this is before the sacrament of the altar is talked about, but on page 454, it's entitled Infant Baptism. And how many times do we get questions as pastors about whether we should baptize infants? And this section, it's about four pages long, is quite well done by Luther to help explain the importance of even infant baptism. Right. Yeah. We, or as he says, we, we bring the child in a conviction and hope that it believes, and we pray that God may grant it faith. But we do not baptize it for that reason, but solemnly because of God's command. He tells us to go and baptize. Yes. And he really stresses that baptism has a command from God. And that's what makes it a blessed gift in comparison to many other gifts that parents give to children that are not commanded from God, like Christmas gifts, etc. Uh, what gifts should you give there? Well, I always like giving my kids. Uh, the first gift I, I gave my kid after they were born was a electric train. And the reason was I enjoyed putting it together and running it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, but uh, with, with baptizing infants, we often say, you know, the, the household of, of the jailer came to, came to faith and were baptized and uh, children are part of a household or we're yes. told to go baptize the nations. Children and infants are part of a, a nation. Yes. He says, in regard to infant baptism, we bring the child in the conviction and hope 
that it believes, and we pray that God may grant it faith. But we do not baptize it for that reason, but solely because of God's command. Why? Because we know that God does not lie. So that's really the purpose of why we bring our children to baptism, because that's really good news for the child. And he goes on to say, God's word cannot err. Yes. In fact, I had the pleasure of just a few weeks ago baptizing two children that were older than infants. They were walking and talking, etc. And uh, the parents asked, uh, could they be baptized? We met with them, went through what baptism meant. And then the following or a couple of Sundays after our meeting, uh, we had the children baptized. And the congregation gave them banners. And it was really a wonderful occasion for that congregation to realize the blessings of baptism. Yeah, I, I once had a baptism of triplets. Have you ever done triplets before? Not triplets, twins, but not triplets. Hmm. Uh, well, I once had a Sunday where, and and it's God's doing, working through a, a mother, grandmother. I had close to eleven baptisms on on a Saturday evening church. Yes, yeah, that really is good news. Well, thank you very much for yeah. uh, suggesting to take a look at the large catechism for this. Tomorrow's Long Gospel will be a repeat broadcast. I'm on assignment, so I won't be live. Listen to us. God bless you. Weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.